everybody welcome back to another off-season edition of the untitled jeff buck podcast i'm your host jeff buck and i'm back with the most frequent podcast guest on the untitled jeff buck podcast it is jordan bianchi jordan how are you i'm doing well like your ed mcmahon to johnny carson or something like that your sidekick sure if you if you want to say that yeah you know i was i i recently finally figured out how to get all previous 242 episodes of the podcast onto iTunes. You know, I had for the longest time, it was only showing like the seven most recent and I could not figure it out. One of my off season projects was to figure it out. So uh, now every podcast that I've done is on there. This is episode number 243, but our first two episodes where you were the guest on those and the audio was terrible and all that stuff. We were on the media tour in 2017. Uh, those, those are on there. And they popped up, so I was like, "Oh man, I, I almost hope people don't go back and listen to those because the audio is so bad." But uh, you know, yeah, you've been there from the start, so welcome back again. It's always a pleasure, and you know, it's it's always good to talk racing with you. And I think this is going to be a fun show we do today. Yeah. So, uh, Jordan, as people may not know this, but you have a, a great memory and a great recall for things that happen, and I don't. I have a terrible memory, and you know, it's one of those things where people even in the media center or whatever will be talking about oh yeah you know that kansas race earlier this year blah 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 and i'll be like what 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 happened now i like i will have been at the race i don't remember what happens at some of these races they all sort of blur together to me you know it, it really takes some jogging to the memory to for me mm-hmm. to figure out what happened sometimes but you for the most part i mean you can go back years and be like oh yeah don't you remember this this and this so uh i thought that it'd be fun for you to come up with some of the uh, recap stuff today. So we're going to talk about the best quotes, the top five best quotes of the year that you came up with and the top five most memorable moments. Is that correct? That is correct. And it kind of encapsulates the year. I think uh, this, this, this definitely spans the season from Daytona to Homestead. And I think we, we cover just about everything in here. Okay. So you have not shared these with me because I want to be surprised and not just act surprised when you go through the list. So I've left these completely up to you, judging, uh, you know, giving some some credit to your memory here. So let's just jump right in with the best quotes of the year. Uh, you want to start with number five? What's number five? We'll start with number five, and it's Martin Truex Jr. at Martinsville. He won the battle, but he's not going to win the damn war. I'm just not going to let him win the championship. I'm going to win it. That was Martin yes. Truex Jr. on Joey Logano's last lap pass where he moved Truex out of the way. Yes, and and of course uh, the the famous thumbs down, double thumbs down. You know, Jordan, it wasn't just one thumbs down; it was a double <laughs> thumbs down. <laughs> if, if 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 he was a Roman emperor calling for the execution uh, of the gladiator or something like that, yeah, uh, it would have been double. However, when it came to <laughs> time for him to back up those words and the double thumbs down, he later uh, did not. You know, he had a chance yeah. at Homestead. He could have done something crazy, and he did not. And, and it's good that you mentioned that because this is actually why it's not higher. Had Truex followed through with his gear, his promise and, and moved Logano at Homestead to win the championship, this probably would be number one on my list. And I thought about it long and hard, but he didn't follow through. He had the opportunity to do it the way it's set up, and he didn't do it. So, But it was memorable in the moment, and it kind of you know encapsulates 
what that Martinsville playoff race is, where it's just it's pure craziness and things happen there that every year we're like, I can't believe this just happened, and once again that this 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 is exactly what happened and transpired. And Logano moved but Truex, and we talked about it then, and we're talking about it now, and I and it's certainly something that I'm not going to forget. Yeah, I was wondering why you're putting it number five, but that that does make sense. Um, you know, it in the recency bias, uh, maybe in my mind, because you know I can't I can't even think of quotes, uh, many quotes this year off the top of my head. So you know, I, I guess I would have put that that higher, but it makes sense why you why you didn't. I, I do think though that that Martinsville race, like you said in the fall, it's pretty crazy how like. The spring Martinsville race, I mean, again, I'll rely on your memory here, but the spring Martinsville race has, has been a little bit tamer recently. Yes. I mean, especially this year was really uh, by Martinsville standards. I know it was it was snowed out a day, but from what I recall, it was one of the more uh, uneventful Martinsville races I- in recent history. And But that the fall Martinsville race, though, is like one of the best of the year. It's like one of the most important races. I mean, it's it's people are there's the, the a desperation there and and as we've mm-hmm. gone back and looked at i mean logano that was his launching pad to ultimately winning the championship and that moment was was really a defining moment for him it really was and we're going to get into martinsville a little bit more later uh on our list but it is the race and i and i've told people this i've been asked this by some non-racing fans or very casual fans what is the one race you you have to watch you know to get into it and a lot of people say well daytona 500 maybe talladega and i and i always tell them no it is the fall martinsville race because we have seen the last few years it is hard feelings hard racing and it is kind of the epitome of what you want nascar or what nascar should be and and it has done a very good job the last few years of delivering. All right. So the double thumbs down emperor Martin Truex <laughs> Jr. Who didn't end up going through with the execution was number five. What is number four? I tried to stay as low as I could and he just rode my door. That's just really an inexperienced racer and a really bad move there and got the air and got on beside me. And I just kept going up the racetrack. He then wrecked me down the back straightaway and hooked me to the right. That's probably the reason that he'll never get to drive many of them again. That is Kevin Harvick on Ross Chastain following their incident in the Xfinity Series race at Darlington. Oh, okay. You know, until you had said the last part there, I'm going through my head going, wait, who's he talking about? And I couldn't picture yeah. it. And then and you said, uh, yeah, he, he won't get a chance to drive uh, one of those again, probably, uh, or in the future. <laughs> and uh, boy, those uh, talk about a comment not aging well. No, not age well. And that's one of the reasons I kind of made it in this list is this, this season, the 2018 season, had been, was a lot about young versus old. And Kevin Harvick is obviously part of that old guard, and, and he was very front this year about how maybe some of these older veteran drivers are kind of getting overlooked a little bit by NASCAR and fans. And he, this was an opportunity that a young driver had, and you know, in Harvick's estimation, he didn't take advantage of it. But he did. I mean, if you look back on that, that I think launched Ross Chastain really into the, the discussion and showed that he was a driver that people needed to take notice of. And it helped him get more rides with Chip Ganassi Racing and ultimately a full-time ride with Chip Ganassi Racing. And yeah, I think, you know, retrospect, Harvick looks a little foolish for saying that, but good for Harvick to speak his mind, even though I think many disagree with him. Well, um, look, I mean, Ross Chastain did wreck him intentionally after Harvick had, had put him in the wall there. Um, you know, you can't you can't deny that. But at the same time, uh, I think that the the question at the time was, should Harvick have been racing him like that? And Harvick blamed it on on Chastain. A lot of people ended up taking Harvick's side, um, you know, on, on various opinions after that. 
as far as the what initially led up to it. But to me, that was like the epitome of every every reason why I don't want um, you know Cup drivers in Xfinity. Um, mm-hmm. Har- Chastain was able to go out and and win the Xfinity race in Las Vegas. And that really sealed it. But, in, you know, I know a lot of people will be like, well, the fact he was beating Harvick and all these, you know, several cup guys in the field at Darlington showed that, you know, that that gave him more credibility. But um, I feel like there's been a whole lost generation in some ways of building fan bases for these young drivers because we haven't seen gotten to see them win. You know, we see them finish fifth or whatever against cup guys, but that doesn't really, you know, generate fan bases. And here it, it was an example of, the difference between Chastain going out and, and doing it against cup guys and ultimately battling and, and losing and then, uh, and winning, um, at, at Vegas, I think that was a huge moment. So, you know, the whole playoffs without any cup guys in them, it was really, really refreshing for me to see the Xfinity guys just battle it out and not have any interference. It's going to be a bummer as soon as the, the season starts up again. And it's like Atlanta and, Oh, here's Kyle Busch, and I guess Harvick won't do it anymore because after this his comment, he said he's he might retire from Xfinity, right? He did say that. Um, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those yeah. things. That I'll believe it when it actually happens. Yeah. Well, that's that's a good quote there. That was very memorable. Uh, what's number uh, three? This one's pretty self-explanatory. Slide job. Slide job. <laughs> so interesting. So you're going with an announcer quote for number three, not even a, a driver quote. I am, and I will say this. We, Dale Earnhardt Jr. is obviously one of NASCAR's most popular figures still, even though he's not driving anymore. But the, it, his ascent into the NBC booth came with a lot of hype. He was at the Olympics. He was at the Super Bowl. There was a lot of expectation around him and, and whether he could you know, actually fulfill these expectations and become the announcer that most people thought he could become. And his first race was a thrilling race at Chicagoland with a great finish and in a memorable call – Earnhardt's slide job, slide job description of what was happening with Kyle Larson and Kyle Busch became what people were talking about on social media, and not just NASCAR, Twitter, but across the board. It became a big thing, and it showed that, you know what, maybe Dale Earnhardt Jr. as an announcer, maybe he still can have a very positive and shaping influence in, in you know what is happening on the racetrack and going forward. Well, there's a couple things about that moment. You know, first of all, uh, he was, he had, you know, he's explained later he had been watching for that move. Uh, and it wasn't a slide job ultimately. Right. Um, you know, but he had been watching for what he thought would be a slide mm-hmm. job. And, um, you know, so he was sort of urging that to happen in that moment. And, uh, you know, dirt racing fans have, have since gotten, uh, a little bit up in arms about NASCAR people calling things slide jobs because it's, it's really not, uh, the tr- what you think of traditional one, but you know the excitement in that moment and the great finish and, and his enthusiasm, it all came together. You know for that for that great race. I will say later in the year though, um, you know some fans were thinking that you know NBC was was yelling too much. They were all yelling, "Stop yelling so much!" Jeff Burton and people like that. You know they they were there was a sort of an outcry on social media and even Dale Jr. I think at one point said, "I can't st- help myself." You know. Um, I, I think that a lot to do with that though has to be with, with the personalities rather than, cause like, here's the thing. If that was Daryl Waltrip, uh, yelling over the final call, um, uh, in a moment like that, a lot of people would be turned off by it. But, you know, since it was Dale jr and, and, you know, it was, it was, there was some sort of freshness there and it was exciting. You're like, okay, yeah, that was really cool. That was a great moment. 
But, um, you know, I, I think that was good for that time, but I wouldn't want to see it every week kind of thing. No, and that's completely understandable. And I, and I think you're right. And it's fair to say that maybe NBC's coverage toward the latter part of the year was maybe not reaching the bar that we kind of thought it was going to. But I thought Earnhardt did a really good job for the most part in his first year. And I thought he brought a fresh perspective. I thought he brought a lot of enthusiasm. And it wasn't it wasn't canned. It wasn't it wasn't fake. It was genuine. And I think that came across that this is somebody who loves what is happening. He loves the sport. He's invested in it. And he's passionate. And I think the person sitting on the couch can, for the most part, recognizes that. And that's how they feel as well. Well, and I, I do think NBC did a good job overall, like, and, and they, but they, they did get very fortunate with, you know, cause Fox's half the season pretty much sucked. I mean, it was pretty boring. Uh, there was not a lot going on in my opinion. They didn't have great races except for the Daytona 500. Um, you know, it was just kind of like very blah. And then all of a sudden NBC takes over Dale Jr.'s hype debut and the very first race out, they get this great race and they have, um, you know, a good Daytona race they're getting. Uh, except for Kentucky all through the summer. I mean, Kentucky was boring, but for the, for the most part, they had a string of like amazing races and they're, they're the freshness of the, them changing up the booth every week had a lot to do with it. Um, you know, it, it ends up being a long season for anybody, but I do think that they did overall a, a pretty admirable job um, compared to other NASCAR broadcasters I've seen over the years. I agree. Let's move on to number two, also from Chicagoland. I don't know what you're all whining about, but if you don't like that kind of racing, don't even watch. Kyle Busch after winning. Wow. See, I thought all along this is the one quote I had. I, I figured this might be number one. So I'm going to be interested to see what's number one here because, uh, interesting. Yeah. So the one, the one thing is that that quote, um, yes, it was, it was a good quote in the moment, but NBC used that in freaking a zillion promos. Mm-hmm. So every week during the race, you're seeing, you know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, this, this, this. And then Kyle Busch does his crying eyes thing at the camera. And he goes, if you don't like that kind of racing, don't even watch, you know? And, and we heard that quote so many times that it sort of became like a a theme of the season to me. Uh, Absolutely. I would agree hundred percent with that. And I think to me, I always like when Kyle kind of embraces his inner wrestling heel. He did it at Bristol last year in 2017 and he did it a little bit after Chicagoland where the fans are booing and he's egging him on. He kind of plays up to it a little bit. That's what he did there. And in the moment, he gives really good quotes. He did it at Bristol and he did it again here. And like you said, NBC played it up. And I think it kind of encapsulates the year in a lot of respect. And and, and especially in the second half of the season, like you had mentioned, where the racing was so good, you know, after week after week. And it it was basically, you looked at when, as soon as he said it and you said, that's going to be a commercial. And that's exactly what happened. Yep. And, uh, you know, I'm sure at, at some point, maybe NASCAR people were like, no, 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 don't tell anybody not to watch. Don't tell anybody not to watch. But <laughs> that, that's the so- funny thing. Yeah. That, that's the funny thing about it, too, is, is it, when I wrote down the quote, I'm looking at it and I looked at it a few other times. I'm like, he's telling people not to watch if they don't like this. And I just I don't know if you really want to convey that message. But in a way you do, in a way you don't. But but they uh, they liked it so much. I mean, they use it in a commercial Watch yeah. this racing, but if you don't like it, don't watch this racing. <laughs> you know, I've never heard of a commercial doing that. But <laughs> no, hey, these don't have to make sense; they just have to be entertaining. Right, right, that's true, and it definitely was. Yeah. Well, so, I, I'm I'm baffled here as to what could be number one because obviously I'm I'm drawing a blank. So, um, surprise me and tell me what was the number one most uh, interesting, best quote of the year in your mind. 
Well, let me preface this by saying it, it happened at the beginning of the year, so it's, it's easy to forget about it. And two, it's not really just one quote. It was kind of the moment and everything that led into it. But here's the quote. Mom, we finished second. We didn't win. And she responded, we did. Yes, we did. We did win that race today, baby. That was Darrell Walls Jr. and his mom, Desiree, in the Daytona 500 Media Center after uh, Wallace had finished second in the race. Um, between him and his mom and the emotional embrace they had and, and everything that had transpired there, that to me really jumped out to me. Wow. That was a, that was a really, that was a great moment. Um, they were, they were hugging, they were crying on stage. Um, God, that it, it's, it's, it's difficult to overstate how big that seemed at the time. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there was a lot of people who went out and bought Bubba Wallace T-shirts after that. Who said, "You know what? I'm going to root for Bubba this year." Mm -hmm. I mean, rookie year, out of the gate, finishes second in the 500. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people got lured into thinking, "Oh, wait, you know, he could be good. He could be a contender this year. The hype is real." Like, you know, the Facebook reality show, all this mm -hmm. stuff. Like, hey, like we could get behind this guy. And then they forgot that he was driving for Richard Petty Motorsports. And, yeah, and th yeah. that's the unfortunate thing is there wasn't much follow-up. I mean, he had a good run at Texas. He finished in the top 10, and he, you know, at Dover in the spring, he drove up through the field and passed Red Keselowski and Kyle Busch for the lead. And there, there was moments, but, you know, overall, yeah, if you're a casual fan and you, you see this guy and you get behind him because he had this great, wonderful moment with his mom and on the podium after finishing second in this big race, you're thinking, wow, this is great, and there was no follow-up. But I, I do think it did kind of propel him a little bit up. He was always this name and this drive that people talked about, but I think it kind of shot him up even more and it gave him some kind of credence that maybe this is a guy who deserved to be here on merit and not nothing else. Yeah. Just, you know, for me, I feel like he is the best personality that NASCAR has right now. I would even put him ahead of Clint Boyer, but Unfortunately, he's just not in a position to really be relevant and show that every week. And I'm mm -hmm. worried that uh, it's going to be wasted here uh, because I, I don't see, you know, Richard Petty Motorsports improving anytime soon or improving rapidly or getting him in a position where he can win races. Um, you know, look at look at Almirola, the difference between Almirola going from RPM to Stuart Haas in one year. I mean, all of a sudden, you know you could see what, what the difference cars do and, and Bubba is just not going to be relevant, maybe on a, a plate track like he was at Daytona, but you know, how much does that really do for you long-term as a sport? Um, it was a great moment, a great quote, certainly. And, uh, I can't, I can't argue with that one too much. Personally, I think I'd put the, uh, the Kyle Busch one, maybe number one true X I'd put number two, but I, I'm not going to quibble too much, Jordan. I think you, you put together a pretty good list there. I appreciate that. Like I said, the only thing that what, that prevented Truex from being higher, which it probably deserved to be, was the fact that he, he again, he had the opportunity to move Logano at Homestead and to follow through on his guarantee, and he didn't do it. And he, yeah. Had he done it, that clip of him at Martinsville saying Logano's not going to win this damn championship, and then him show, and then him doing so at Homestead, that would have been a commercial that would have been aired ad nauseum going forward on, on NASCAR races. Yep. Well, good stuff, Jordan. And uh, we this is just only halfway done here because now we can move on to the five most memorable moments of the year. So uh, kick us off here. What was your fifth most memorable moment 
of the NASCAR season in 2018? It's the race we just talked about, which is the Daytona 500. You had last lap contact between Eric Almirola and, and Austin Dillon on the last lap. They were running first and second. You know, that's a thrilling finish in the biggest race. You had the number three RCR car back in victory lane. You had, you know, Richard Petty, his driver finishing second, and then Richard Petty afterwards, you know, basically almost storming through the garage in this desperate search to find Darrell Wallace Jr., which was really an interesting track. And then don't forget, we also had, you know, Darrell Wallace Jr. and Denny Hamlin afterwards had a little exchange. You know, I had a, they were banging on the track, and then in the garage, they got into kind of had this war of words that followed with Denny Hamlin kicking Wallace out of his basketball league. And that to me was, it was. The whole the whole race and really the last probably ten laps or so was probably one of the top five moments of the year. Yeah, that was pretty unbelievable. I mean, and and I remember, uh, you know, everybody thought Almirola was going to be just absolutely livid about it, and he took it so well and handled himself with a lot of class. And I think he earned some fans that that night because he was like, "Look, you know, it's it's racing for Daytona in the last lap. I, I was trying to do what I could, going up to block basically, and and Dylan was trying to do what he had to do, drive through and. You know, it. I, I think it was sort of a, you know, it's a, a unpopular winner in some ways because even mm-hmm. though it was the number three car on the anniversary, you know, all that stuff, you know, it's still Austin Dillon and people really haven't embraced him. But um, it, there was a lot that happened that night. That was a big sort of magical, you know, you, you felt the atmosphere there. You felt that it was big time. The Bubba Wall stuff, the Denny Hamlin stuff, the Adderall comment, you know, all that stuff that happened. Yeah, that, that was a good one. That was a good one. What, what is, uh, what's number four? So number four is a weekend. It's not just one thing, but it's really the, the whole weekend and really the anticipation going into the weekend. And I'm talking about the, the Roval race at Charlotte. Going into the race, people had expectations. I think were were excited by it, which is not something that always happens. People were curious to see what how this was going to unfold. Was this going to be a crash fest like a lot of people had predicted? Was this going to be just a wild, nutty race? What was going to happen? And from the first time the cars hit the track and practice on Friday through the checkered flag waving on Sunday, it delivered on every level. Friday practice was crazy. You had Eric Jones and Darrell Walsh Jr. both having spectacular crashes. Um, the race itself on Sunday with you know Kyle Larson and Brad Keselowski had a great battle for the lead in the middle portion there. And then, of course, the madness that unfolded towards the end. Uh, Brad Keselowski leading the guys off the cliff was one quote to describe what happened as he led the field into turn one on a restart and everybody just piled up. You had Jimmy Johnson and Martin Truex Jr. in that last lap battle where a desperate Jimmy Johnson's trying to snap that lengthy losing streak, spins himself out coming to the through the chicane to the checkered flag, ends up crashing Truex, who then spins out. And through the smoke, Ryan Blaney wins the race, and somehow Kyle Larson takes his damaged race car, nurses it to the finish line, and advances to the next round. That whole weekend delivered, and it had people talking the next day and really afterwards saying, how can we replicate this? Do we need to turn other racetracks into rovals? Because this delivered on every level. Yeah, that's a great point. You're, you're bringing back some great memories there. Uh, gosh, there was so much that happened in that race. That was crazy. I, it's I crazy. do think, though, that like, yeah, it's in, you know, that was something that really, you know, I'm not saying that that we need, you know, to see as, as viewers a bunch of uh, rovals all over the place now uh, or that NASCAR needs to go out and start turning ovals into rovals but the concept that it was so fresh that weekend and there was so much enthusiasm and excitement even before the race the race delivered 
in a crazy way once Kozlowski triggered that thing where everybody piled in and it was like, what in the world? But it was going to be a decent race because it was going to be a fuel mileage race and people were going to run out and there was a lot of intrigue building up into that moment before that restart. But um, yeah, once Kozlowski did that and then sort of all hell broke loose and then obviously the finish with, with Johnson and Truex, the spin and Blaney winning and Larson you know, limping all over the, I mean, that, that was unbelievable, but we have to remember that there was so much hype going into it. And, you know, um, there's, you know, a couple of my NASCAR friends here in Portland, Oregon flew out to that race, the Roval race, because they're like, look, we can't miss this. You know, we, we've heard the hype all year. We, we got to go see that. Um, I, I went to that race, you know, I've, I've skipped the Charlotte race in the past, uh, the Charlotte fall race, you know, 500 miles around that oval. It's not very compelling. And here you had something that was really interesting. I'm like, I got to be there. You know, this is going to be one of the most important races of the year. So, um, yeah, that was really, really good. And I think if, if NASCAR can replicate the enthusiasm, the freshness, the freshness, the energy, excitement, um, all that stuff, it doesn't have to be a roval, but just something different about the events that mixes it up and makes something new. That's where you can really build on stuff and get people excited. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Moving on to number three on our list, and it really wasn't the race itself. The, the race, I think, was really entertaining from beginning to end. It was very good, but it was particularly the last 15 laps at Homestead I thought were terrific, and particularly when you had a restart with 15 laps to go, you had the four best drivers throughout the season lined up one through four on this restart, and all of them had good cars. Some of them had better cars, but they all you could make a case for each one of them winning the championship, and it really allowed them to sell it straight up. It was Martrix Jr., Kyle Busch, Joey Logano, and Kevin Harvick, and you got the sense of who wants it more, what are they willing to do to win this championship, and we saw Kyle Busch surprisingly get a, a bad restart and Truex jump in the lead, and then Joey Logano running Martin Truex, Martin Truex Jr. down and then driving it incredibly hard into turn one to, to complete this pass of him. And Truex had his opportunity, like we've mentioned, to get Logano back for what happened at Martinsville and not doing it, and then Logano pulling away and winning that championship. That, to me, the last 15 laps at Homestead were really terrific. Well, and I think, too, that that made a difference, uh, that the fact that they were all on the same tire strategy. And, yep. you know, if, if, uh, if you'd had one guy start there and, oh, he didn't take any tires and another guy took two tires, and then you, you would have bet, had some debate. Well, oh, you settled the championship based on, a, you know, pit call, whatever. Um, but ultimately, this was straight up, like you said, top four, starting one, two, three, four. And it wasn't the guy that just got out there and used clean air. I mean, you had to actually have the, the champion and the race winner track him down and make passes. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a key moment too, as far as credibility for the championship. It wasn't just like, yeah. Oh, he got off pit road first. So that's it. Yeah. And I think you make a really good point there. You know, there's been a little bit of talk of, you know, does Logano a paper champion. Does he deserve the championship? Which I think is nonsense. And I think anybody who thinks that, you just need to look back at these last 15 laps. Logano got a terrific restart, and the way he tracked and, and ran Truex down and then made that pass, that says everything you, that says that Logano's a more than a credible champion. Not only that, he beat the three best drivers throughout the course of the season straight up. He certainly deserved that championship. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I do agree with you. I mean, he under the format and the rules, I mean, he certainly did what he had to do. He won at the right time and he beat those guys, but it's still on some level 
kind of hard to accept, you know, just that, I, I don't know. I, I just, I wouldn't vote him as like my driver of the year. And so when you're driver of the year, you know, I'd probably say Kevin Harvick, even though Kyle Busch also won eight races. But when your driver of the year is not the, the champion or when your champion is not the driver of the year, I should say, um, that's, you know, you're kind of like from a traditional NASCAR motorsport standpoint, it's just still hard to kind of accept still. And I know it is for a lot of fans. I, I, I'm not saying I don't accept Logano as the champion. He's certainly the worthy champion. It's just is different. It's still this one out of all the championships is just kind of, uh, kind of odd. Cause Jimmy did it when he was the fourth best car, but you know, you're like, well, he's won seven times before or six times before this is seventh. And people just kind of forgot about it or something. And, uh, you know, I don't know. This you had two really dominant guys this season, and neither of them won, and it was just kind of weird to have another person win it. But yeah. Anyway, what is uh, what's number two most memorable moment? Kyle Larson versus Kyle Busch at Chicagoland, and really what was probably the most stirring finish of the season, where you had two of the NASCAR's best pure talents out there. It was hard racing. It was beating and banging. It was kind of the racing you want to see, and it, you don't always get to see on an intermediate track. And the retaliation in a way that Kyle Busch, you know, ended up tracking Larson back down going into turn three and paid him back. And I will add this nugget, too, is afterwards there wasn't, you know, name calling or anything else. And yeah, that's I'm OK. I like guys when they show passion, they want to win and there's hurt feelings. That's good, especially for us as we cover the sport. But there was a respect between these guys of, you know what, we're going to do. I respect him. I went after it, and I, you know, Larson said I had no problem with Kyle Busch spinning me out because I got into him first, and you don't always get that, and I thought that was kind of refreshing in a way, but that finish and with Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s call and everything, I, I just think that was a race that people are not going to forget anytime soon. Yeah, ultimately, you know, I don't know. It, it's one of the best races of the season. Um, I don't know if it was the best, but it certainly had, uh, to me, the most memorable finish maybe not i don't know what's going to be number one on your list here but uh that that one just with the call and everything like that i think that'll be remembered for a long time so i can't really argue with that being number two although again here just like with the quotes i i'm i'm kind of like racking my brain for what you could have for number one so uh let's see give it to me what what's number one most memorable moment of the 2018 nascar season I don't think this is, I think this is a no brainer and it's really easy. And it's Joey Logano moving Martin Truex Jr. And the finish at Martinsville, you know, Truex's comments post-race, Joey Logano, not afraid to kind of embrace that physical bad boy driver. Who's not afraid to be aggressive on the racetrack. Um, it's Truex continued hard luck a little bit. He can't win on a short track race. Is he too nice? It, but this was the epitome, this race, particularly this finish. Uh, of what is supposed to happen in the playoffs. When you've got a championship berth on the line, you're supposed to have these guys rise up to the occasion and do whatever it takes to win. And that's what we saw. And that this happened again on a short track. You know, we've heard the clamor fans want more short tracks and Martinsville's playoff race again, delivered. And it has, like we said earlier, has become a can't miss race. And this was an excellent finish really that encapsulates what NASCAR is and what should be and a blueprint of maybe what it should happen going forward. Yeah, I, I think it was good. I, I don't know if it's such a no brainer. I mean, I, I really think that years from now, um, you know, maybe it's just, I've seen it a zillion commercials, like we said earlier with the, with the Kyle Busch sure. comment, but uh, you know, that, that slide job thing, that's, that's going to have some legs uh, to be as far as memorable years from now. I mean, the Logano Truex thing was, was pretty big. I'm not gonna argue that. I mean, it, it's, 
I I think I'm just thinking I, I would put it number two. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting though how um, some of the I think the top two races of the year, as far as my was a good race poll, neither of them ended up making it. So number one really? I think was Bristol. Uh, that's the number one race of all time. Ninety five percent said yes. Kurt Busch won that one. Um, you had a lot of subplots going on, like Kyle Busch had to rally back and almost drove up through the field. Truex kicked his car, all that stuff. Um, and then number two, I believe, was Watkins Glen, Chase Elliott's first win, a good race overall. Maybe not a, necessarily a memorable moment, though. Um, so it's just a good race overall. So I understand where you're coming from with the moments, but interesting, interesting stuff. Good list, I think. Oh, I appreciate that. And again, there was a lot of stuff that you could have left off. And it's interesting to hear that people really resonated. The Bristol in, in August really resonated with folks because it's not something I would have guessed because, you know, we, we talked about this before is does the winner influence the poll? And Kurt Busch is not a driver that, you know, you would think that a lot of people would get behind as a winner. But people like that race. And that, that surprises me a little bit, especially because Bristol's gotten a rap over the last few years of not being the Bristol of old. Yeah, so as long as we have everybody here and we're talking about the best races, let's just go through uh, the five best and the five worst real quick. Uh, number one, as I said, second Bristol race, Kurt Busch won. 95% said it was a good race. Watkins Glen was number two. 94% said it was a good race. Chase Elliott won. Charlotte Roval, we just mentioned. Uh, 93% Ryan Blaney won. Uh, Chicago race only got 92%, but I, I think some of that has to do with Kyle Busch. There's a certain, you know, maybe 5% of people just aren't going to vote for a race that Kyle Busch won. Um, and then, uh, the number five race of the year was Martinsville, uh, the second Martinsville, which we also talked about 90% said that was a good race. So, um, as far as the five worst, um, Let's see here. Uh, number five, uh, tie for number five worst was the Coke 600 and second Michigan, both pretty much bore fest. Harvick won second Michigan. Kyle Busch won the Coke 600. Um, Las Vegas won. Uh, total Harvick domination was the third worst race. Texas two, another Harvick win. The Texas fall race, really nothing happened in that at all for the most part. Um, that Everything was, was post-race for that one. That's right. That's right. Yep. And then uh, the worst race of the year, only 23% saying that it was a good race was Kentucky. Martin Truex Jr. won that one. That was literally, I mean, I, I was in Formula, I was covering Formula E that weekend and I'd gone over to Bob Pockers' apartment in New York City to watch it with him. And we were both, that was one of the few races that we both missed. And we were both looking at each other like, man, talk about picking a good race to miss. Like, you know, I don't even think I wrote a top five uh, column after that one because I was like, there's just nothing to talk about in this. It was, it was bad, but yeah, so that's that. It, uh, Jordan, if you don't mind, I'd like to go over one more thing with you as far as mm -hmm. some superlative type stuff. Um, because Cindy, the intern, Cindy Yen, um, she went through my 12 questions and found a few common answers. So for people who've listened to the 12 questions podcast, uh, this year, um, so, you know, there was one question, would you be willing to go vegan for a month if it meant getting the number one pit stall selection for an upcoming race? Um, <laughs> that I did 41, is this right? 41, 12 questions interviews this year, Jordan. Wow. That's a How lot. many of the 41 people said that they would be willing to 
go vegan for one month that they not, not just wishy-washy, but actually say, look, you know, I, I'd be willing to do it. I would say like 10 and I would only say it's that low in number because pit stall selection at most racetracks probably doesn't mean a whole lot. It was 12. It was All right. 12 people. So very close, very close. Um, yeah, it's, uh, kind of odd. Um, I, I honestly was thinking that a lot more people would say absolutely, you know, because number one pit stall selection, do I'll do whatever it takes to win. Going vegan, I mean, it's a month. It's not like you're giving it up forever. Um, <laughs> I don't know if people think vegan is harder than it is. I mean, it is hard, but I, I you know, living here in Portland, there's a lot of, of vegan restaurants that we end up going to. We're not vegan or vegetarian, but we just go there because the food's good. And I think it's not as hard as, you know, if you were able to find that on the road and especially with these guys with personal chefs or whatever that prepare meals at times, I mean, I don't think it'd be that hard for a number one pit stall selection at like a Martinsville or a Dover. I mean, yeah, I think there are some racetracks Dover Martinsville are obviously we, we know about Homestead and we've talked about that a lot um, of what a number one stall means. But I think, you know, if you look at the plate tracks, you look at maybe the road courses, and you look at Michigan, Pocono, a lot of these places, I don't think it matters very much. So if you're if you're gonna make me give up something that I love, it sure as heck better be worth a worthy reward. And I just don't think that's worth it. Yeah. So uh, you know, another one of the questions was um three celebrities are gonna be involved with your race team for one race. You have to pick uh which two which role to assign them between LeBron James, Taylor Swift, and Tom Hanks. Uh, crew chief, spotter, and motorhome driver. Um, the most common answers by far for for uh, motorhome driver was Taylor Swift. I mean, overwhelmingly, everybody wants her to be the motorhome driver, whether it's the young drivers hinting that they think she's hot and so they wanted to spend time with her at the motorhome, apparently, or uh, drivers with families uh, saying that they'd love for her to stop by and play her guitar and entertain or fact that she's used to living in a motorhome so she'd know about motorhome life or what to cook things like that um they uh that was the most common answer it was more split between lebron and tom hanks as crew chief and spotter but ultimately it seems like uh lebron won out as crew chief for his motivational skills and then tom hanks with that soothing voice whether it's the voice of forrest gump or woody uh they would like him to be on the spotter stand any of that surprise you at all no, it makes complete sense as you explain that, and I, I would not expect anything less. <laughs> okay. So now uh, the one, it was all over the board. Many drivers refusing to give an answer or uh, really going PC on this one. Um, but uh, the most punchable face in NASCAR, this was Dale Jr.'s <laughs> question for the next guy on his last season, and I decided to make it uh, full-time on the 12 questions for last year. So, um, any guesses as to who the landslide winner for the most punchable face in NASCAR would be? It's either Brad Keselowski or Kyle Busch. I would bet money on it. Well, you got you got to pick one. It's it is Just, one of the one of those. It's probably Brad. I thought it was going to be Brad. To be honest oh. with you, it is oh. actually Kyle Busch with seven of the forty-one votes. Although a lot of them were no votes or no one or waffling, but, um, yes, Kyle Busch with seven, Brad Kozlowski with three votes for the most punchable face and coming in third 
was unfortunately myself. Um, <laughs> I think I what was. What does that say about you? Yeah, I don't know. I was. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Um, people, uh, Joey Logano and Eric Almarola both said me. Uh, I think. I think that uh, I can't remember which one said. Maybe Logano said you for asking that question, or something like that. But um, yeah, so that was that was the, uh, the answers there for most punchable face. That is your 12 questions this year was one of the most entertaining ones because the questions were really, they span the kind of the gamut of interesting racing stuff and off track stuff. And like you said, sometimes you get reveals like why is Taylor, why does he want Taylor Swift as his, you know, uh, motorhome driver? And why does he want Tom Hanks as his crew chief? And you kind of got to look a little bit in depth on why they said that. That, that was really good this year. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, you know, it's, it's really a product of, Running out of questions. I mean, so this is going to be next year, I believe, is the I think is next year is the tenth year of doing the twelve questions interviews. So you know that's going to be a hundred twenty different questions. You know, I, I've tried to not repeat any questions. It's getting very. I'm really scraping the the bottom of the barrel here on what to ask these people. That's not something that they've that they hear every week at, you know, fan forums or in the media center. Uh, you know, so it's, you know, I don't want to ask, do you know, do you pee in the car? Cause it's just something they, or what's your favorite track. And then I don't want to ask something that I asked five years ago or six years ago or whatever. Um, you know, I want to come up with something different and unique. So I'm having to really get creative, which some of the people who like haven't done the 12 questions before, like I did one with willpower this year and they just give you like the strangest looks like, what are you smoking <laughs> asking me these questions? You know, like the drivers who do them every year, they're like, yeah, yeah, he's going to ask some, you know, offbeat kind of stuff here. But the drivers who they've never done it, they're just like looking at you like, wow, this is weird. So may I make a suggestion? Yeah. Since you're running out of questions. Maybe you should ask Dale Earnhardt Jr. Because he came up with a pretty darn good one for this year's 12 questions. So maybe you need to lean on him a little bit more for next year. Yeah, I should message him in the off season and see if he's, if he's got anything and, what should I ask Dale? The, the Dale yeah, question there you or go. something. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, Jordan, uh, great list. Uh, thanks for coming up with the most memorable quotes and the most, or the best quotes and the most memorable moments. And uh, appreciate you. Uh, any, any uh, fun things coming up for you uh, before the new year? I got you know, nothing too exciting. I'm doing some stuff for NASCAR.com or looking back on the season that was and a lot of different pieces. So I'd recommend checking that out. But other than that, no, I got nothing. Oh, so we're going to see more of your memory, except on NASCAR.com, where people actually read it, unlike listening to this podcast. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yes, exactly. Okay. <laughs> That's great. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, everybody, um, thank you to Jordan for coming up with these. And thanks to all of you for listening. Appreciate you. Um, there will definitely be more podcasts before the NASCAR season starts, but... Um, sort of an irregular schedule here as we've come upon the holidays and the, the off season, but never know when one of these will pop up into your feed, uh, message Jordan and tell him if you, uh, disagree or agree with his picks, his Twitter name is Jordan underscore Bianchi B I A N C H I. Is that right, Jordan? That is correct. You got it. And, uh, message me as well. Let me know if, uh, you, if you agreed with me rather than Jordan, I hope you will. 
Anyway, <laughs> uh, thanks again for all those who listen, and we will talk to you next time on the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast. <laughs>